things that I am, you know, whether I'm, I'm, I'm things I'm proud of about myself and also things that I'm disappointed about. Good, myself. perfect. So what does that mean? That means no matter the, no matter how you're going to describe yourself, whether it's physical appearance or it's the roles that you have with other people or things that have happened to you or the things that you're proud of yourself for, no matter what you're doing, you're going to be kind of capturing a small element of something that's happened to you, but you're never going to really be able to capture your essence. You know, these are if I could tell you if one of these things wasn't true about you, would you still be you? And the answer would probably be yes. You know, it's it's a lot of what we are in in our conscious life is really just the story that we tell ourselves. So I had a great conversation with my friends this morning, just realizing something so powerful that when you're when you're in pain and when you find yourself depressed or sad or whatever the emotion may be, you really have an unbelievable opportunity to realize this is really just a story. My essence, my neshama, my core beliefs about who I am. Those things are eternal. Those things really do not change. And that's something that is transcendent of any story that we could tell ourselves. So just keep that in mind. I want to also make the point that uh, practical God of spiritual living involves commitment and consistency. These, there are familiar patterns and demons in each area. So you might start to notice as you're climbing the ladder of spiritual growth and you're trying to work on different elements of your life, you're, you know, and that's what spiritual life is. It's different elements of your life in a practical sense. When you focus on these different elements, you're going to start to notice certain patterns. And these patterns are going to start to repeat themselves. And your job as, as a growing person is to notice what are these patterns. So for me... One of them is being too hard on myself. No matter what the, the situation is, I might be too hard on myself. I might be a perfectionist. So that's something I need to keep in mind. No matter which field of life I'm working on, I have to stop being so hard on myself. I have to open myself to being okay with failure. Right? Um, the idea of the spirit of wakefulness and chesed and every act that we do, that has to be a part of it. And this is, these are, this is a lot of ideas from Jack Cornfield. The expanding heart is an expanding of our spiritual practice, right? That when we practice spirituality, it, it means expanding our heart. It means opening ourselves up and that part of ourselves that's really deeply rooted in ourselves to whatever life is bringing to us. And the easiest way to do that is just by being present in whatever we do. I love this idea. He says that uh, the, the spiritual teachers that he's known, and I think this is a really beautiful thing, they keep the student around just long enough for them to come to some genuine understanding of life, love, and freedom. And they want to learn about how to be free in the midst of it all. So they don't hold on to the student for too long. When it comes to, uh, you know, really guiding this person, they say, you know what, at the end of the day, I don't want this person to be my slave. I don't want them to just be a follower. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says it beautifully, a good leader creates followers. But a great leader creates leaders. That's what we're looking for. You, if you're under a leader who keeps you stifled, who keeps you as a follower your whole life and doesn't let you grow into a leader of, of, of yourself, that's a problem. right? So we, we can see that in a lot of people, that they're too afraid to take that step to let their students go. That's a big issue. Um, and the, the, the quote that this teacher of his said is, Marry the boy or girl next door. Get a job in your community, serve others, live your life as your practice. So the spiritual life is not sitting on a mountaintop and meditating. That might be part of it. But at the end of the day, 
it all relies on you going back into the community and giving back. And you being involved in life to the fullest extent. Because if you're not involved in life, what are you really doing? Like the Hachamim say beautifully, they say, Sadikim That's what it says in, uh, in uh, Parashat Noah, that God is asking for Sadikim People that are within the midst of the city, not people that are separate from it. So just keep that in mind. And like we said, there's no difference between sitting in meditation and the actions that we take. They should be continuous. When you're meditating, you shouldn't feel like you're separating yourself and trying to build a wall from the world. Instead, you're meditating as a way of being mindful, first and foremost, of what's going on around you. And then when you open your eyes and you look around the world, it's not supposed to be something that's separate. It's supposed to be, let me punctuate the rest of my day with this mindfulness. And finally, the last point I'll make before we really begin is that he gives a really beautiful metaphor. He says, the heart is like a fruit that can ripen and mature over time. And it brings kindness, ease, and compassion to our lives. So he says, in the beginning, the heart might start off as this green, hardened fruit. It might not be ready for, for really maturity and ripening. But if you let it ripen, you let it mature, and you just keep on nourishing it and supporting it, the heart will ripen, it will mature, and this, these ideas of kindness, ease, and compassion will really wash over you. And that's a beautiful idea. Uh, somebody, somebody's not muted. Uh, I don't know if, uh, I think Mr. Halabi, if you could please mute yourself. Okay, great. Um, Stephen Halabi, if you can mute yourself, please. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to discuss the specifics of uh, spiritual maturity. So this is this is the point where I wish I could uh, have the power of muting. Say it again. Here we go. Okay, perfect. Um, so there's certain qualities of spiritual maturity that that he lists, and this is the thing that really got me thinking. What if I could list all of these, and I could try to notice something? That is either the same in Judaism or different in Judaism from this modern spirituality. And I really want your participation here because that's very key to really seeing if you agree or disagree that this is in line with Judaism or not. So the first thing that he says, and I think for me this is the most controversial one. He says one idea of, of spiritual maturity is non-idealism. He says that the mature heart is not perfectionistic. So I actually mentioned this about myself personally. I was too much of a perfectionist. I cared too much about everything going right for me in the perfect way. And he says instead, compassion rather than ideals of the mind. So that's what we care about is, is the idea of compassion. It's not about just continuing to build these ideals and working towards them. That could be a part of it, but first and foremost is letting go and opening the heart to all that is with, that all that is with compassion. So it's just accepting the way things are. That's what he sees as real spirituality. So he says, God can shine through even in acts of ignorance and fear, inviting us to wonder at the mystery of all that is. So I think it's really beautiful. I think the fact that he's saying that we could find love and spirituality in whatever it is in the world, that's an amazing idea. You could find God in the worst kind of atrocities, like, it, it really depends on who you're focusing on, I guess. You know, the Holocaust, that you're going to focus on the guy. There's that famous story. There was one guy who he would, he would lend his sidur to people only if they would give, them, give him the piece of bread that they got for that day. And uh, somebody said they, they lost their Judaism because of this, this whole ordeal. 
they, they were watching this person, you know, exploit these people. And then the rabbi says, I don't understand. You're focusing on the wrong person. Don't focus on the person who is asking for the bread. Focus on the people who gave up their bread just for an idea of spirituality. Right? So a lot of it depends on our perspective. But to be brutally honest with you, I think Judaism is very much not in line with this first quality of spiritual maturity that, that Jack Cornfield lists. I think that Judaism is not completely opposed, but I think that Judaism's very important idea is the idea of tikkun olam. It's about fixing the world. That's really what we care about. We don't only care about accepting the world that is, right? Like uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says, faith is protest. The job of the, of the Jew in the world is to protest the status quo. The greatest leaders that we've ever had in, the, in, the, in our history are the Nevi'im. And who are the Nevi'im? The Nevi'im are always the ones who are complaining to God and saying, God, how are you letting this be? Like Habakkuk says beautifully, he says, Tehor Ainaim, God, you're this, this pure of eyes. How could you withstand to see the, the atrocities that are going on in your world? So that's what a leader is in Judaism. And I think that it's very telling that this modern spirituality doesn't focus on that. And I think we should be proud that we're Jewish. Because we're able to, to incorporate this, these ideas. You know what? In Judaism, we say once we realize that something's outside of, outside of our hands, we say, God, please take care of the rest. That's a beautiful thing. But if there's something that you're capable of doing, go out and do it. Go out and be the change you wish to see in the world. And like uh, the Pirkei Avot says, Lo So it's a balancing act in Judaism. On the one hand, you don't have to finish all the work. You don't have to really kill yourself to get the job done because there's going to be somebody after you, the next link in the chain, who's going to be able to accomplish whatever the, the task is. But, You're not free to just completely absolve yourself of the situation. You should be involved to whatever extent you can be. So this is really, for me, the only one of the qualities of spiritual maturity from Jack Hornfield that really flies in the face of Judaism, and not even completely. I just have a problem that he doesn't emphasize the importance of taking action to fix the world. And you know what? That's painful. You know what? That involves a lot of investment of time and blood and sweat and tears into what we're doing. But at the end of the day, it's what, made, it's what built these roads. It's the reason you have air conditioner. It's the reason that things really do progress. Life is not simply about accepting what is. It's also about seeing the world that ought to be in our minds. Anybody have any comments on that? Because I know some people definitely, uh, I feel bad to call out Michael Grazi, but I'm going to do it anyway. Do you have any response to that? You think, do you think I'm reading this the right way? Absolutely. Um, Agreed. Right. So, so like, there is the, the, the task that's put upon us to work and to perfect what's, uh, you know, and, and, and strive towards that ideal, um, but also accepting a limit. 
Absolutely. Being humble enough to know when you can't do something and when it's beyond your control. You know, like that serenity prayer, please God grant me the power to accept the things I cannot change, to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's the key. But my only issue is that this common spiritual maturity of the modern day and age doesn't emphasize enough the idea of tikkun olam, not just my personal quibble. Um, the next idea that, that is mentioned in the book is the idea of kindness. Of course, we know kindness uh, is one of the core values of Judaism, the idea of chesed. Hashem built the world on chesed, right? We say, olam chesed yibaneh. The entire world runs on this idea of, uh, in, a, in a Kabbalistic uh, domain, the idea that God is really, you know, gratuitously doing everything. God doesn't need the world for his existence, and yet he's allowing it to be. And that's God's kindness, that he separated a space for all of us to exist and to grow and develop. It's the same thing with a mother's womb, right? Rahamim, the idea of a mother's compassion, and the idea of a rahim, the idea comes from the same word of a, of a womb. That's kind of what God is giving us in this world. So I think clearly Judaism is in line with that idea of spiritual maturity. And interestingly, Jack Cornfield says, what is kindness really predicated upon? Number one, self-acceptance. And number two, loving kindness. Now, let me ask you a question. Loving kindness, okay, I can understand that's clear in Judaism. Chesed is all over the place. You read Megillat Rut, the whole holiday of Shavuot is about Chesed. The chesed that Ruth does, the idea of Yibum, such a beautiful idea. How about self-acceptance? Does anybody see that in Judaism? Michael DeBell, you have anything to say about this? Um, I, I would say that... Uh, For self-acceptance. Yeah, um, I think it actually has to do a lot with like self-negation. Not necessarily negating yourself, but like kind of like developing yourself through carrying out God's will um, and then when when you do that you align yourself with God's will and you become more um, I mean it's not necessarily about yourself but you as a, as a person develop because of that so yes absolutely kind of like so I think for me the idea of self-acceptance within Judaism has a lot to do with gratitude right? Once you you start to be grateful for the things that God has given you, you're no longer focusing on how do I get better and get better and get better and improve. I think this ties into number one as well. Of course we care about improvement. We don't want to be complacent and remain exactly how we are the rest of our lives. But at the same time, we we want to you know really be happy with where we are. And we want to accept the, the, the blessings that God has given us. So if you're always only focused on progress, you don't really leave any time for the appreciation of what you currently are. So I think that's a powerful idea. The third uh, tenet of spiritual maturity is the idea of patience. Right? Patience is the, it has to do with the idea that awakening requires a lot of cycles. So, you know, this is something I personally struggled with a lot is that when I first started meditating, I expected unbelievable things to happen. I expected myself to get to the top of that mountain like all these people are talking about. All right, that You have so many different uh, people that are speaking about the, 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 the inner peace that you get. Imagine being a person that you walk around in life and nothing bothers you and nothing shakes your, your innards to the extent that it ruins your day. 
You, you're never feeling bad inside. You're always just at peace and in happiness. How amazing that sounds, right? It sounds so like something we all want to have. We all want to have that inner peace inside. But it really does require a lot of cycles. It requires a way of, of noticing the process and appreciating the process. You don't have to think that, oh, I have to get there immediately. No, the process itself is the holiness. The process itself of spiritual growth and maturity is what we're looking for. We're not looking for just the top of the mountain. God gave each of us our particular challenges so that we could work through them. Not so that we could just make them disappear immediately. That would really not be of much benefit. The thing that we care about is working with whatever God has given us and saying, you know what, God, I'm going to use the tools that you gave me in order to awaken this deep fire inside of me. And the ideas that Jack Cornfield mentions are not grasping. You know, when we, we try to grasp onto certain things in life, everything in life is, is temporary. Nothing in life is really permanent. So the second we, our human tendency to try to grasp onto things kicks in, that's when we stop being happy. And he says we have to open to that which is beyond time. And I love that. Living in the now, the only way you could connect to the divine, to God, is by focusing on the here and now. That doesn't mean you, you can't plan at all, but if you're going to really live a serious spiritual life, that means that you have to stop focusing on what if this thing disappears and let me enjoy this thing for right now because what if, uh, you know, that, that's something that happens to a lot of us. It happens to me especially. I'm enjoying a moment so much that the thought seeps in, I don't want this to end. And that's a painful thought. But really, the, the key to that is to say, you know what, I'm not going to grasp. I'm not going to allow myself. It's a beautiful drawing somebody made. I'm not going to allow myself to to really get involved. Yes, Dad. Erwin can't get in. Sure. Yes. Um. I will. Why well, you you you're you, are you able to send him the uh the link? Hey, Papa. Yes, I hear you. Oh my God. I'm sorry. Yeah. There's gotta be. I just sent you the link, Dad. If you could send that to Erwin, Papa. Good to have you. Sorry for the delay. Right? So so we're talking about the ideas of spirituality and how we could compare them to Judaism and the ideas of Jewish spirituality. So Hashem, as we know, has infinite patience. Hashem, at the very outset of the Torah, He shows us something amazing. He says, I'm going to tell you some stories about some people who were far from perfect. First, Adam and Hava, what did they do? They sinned. They were kicked out of Gan Eden. Cain and Hevel, right? Cain kills Hevel. And what do we see? We see that God doesn't immediately destroy Cain. You would think, okay, midah keneged midah would be to, to kill Cain. The Torah, according to Rabbi Shama, is sending us a very strong message here. The Torah is saying, Hashem is trying to teach us something. That He's patient. Even if you're a murderer like Cain and the, the Hachamim explained, well, Cain didn't really know what the concept of murder meant, so maybe for him it was a little bit more lenient. But the point is that Hashem is infinitely patient. And Hashem is, is trying to reach out to us. He wants to have a relationship with us. In creating the world, that's what He's interested in. And that's what God's infinite patience is about. He creates Adam, wants to have a relationship, he fails. Cain and Hevel fails. Right? Then you have Dora Mabul, Dora Pelaga. Everybody's failing. Until finally you get to Abraham Avinu. 
And God says, I'm going to start over this time with, with just one man. And I care enough and I'm going to wait all these years. Obviously, God's beyond time. That's why he's so patient. But at the end of the day, all God really wants from us is a relationship. And uh, as we know, uh, we, should, we should always seek to emulate HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Oh. Uh, we should, Papa, I think your, uh, your mic is on. Sorry. Yeah. So, so we're supposed to... We're supposed to understand that we're supposed to emulate God in whatever we do. Like the Hakamim say, Mahurahum Afatarahum. Just like God is, is merciful, so too you should be merciful. So I would say the same thing here. Just like God is patient, just like God is ready to, to wait for each of us as, as a society and as individuals to reach our spiritual heights, we should not be too hard on ourselves. When you find yourself struggling, when you find yourself falling into old patterns and old habits, and you start beating yourself up. You're trying to quit something that you've been trying to quit for many years, let's say, and it, it just keeps creeping up on you and you can't seem to shake it. What do you do? Get back up and try again because that's what a spiritual life is about. It's about appreciating the process, not being too judgmental of yourself because that's the way that God is as well. Number four, also a beautiful idea is the, the concept of immediacy. What is immediacy? It comes from the word immediate, obviously. He says, awakening is found in our life here and now. You don't have to go seek somewhere far and wide to find spirituality. Right? Like, like Moshe Rabbeinu says, Lo hi, lo hi. You, you don't have to go far and wide on a spiritual quest, literally, in order to find spirituality. If you want, you could find God right here, right now. And uh, beautifully, he brings this quote, if, and I want to hear your interpretation of it. After the ecstasy, the laundry. Who thinks they can interpret that for me? Elian Ani, I want to hear from you. <laughs> Sorry to call you out. You don't have to. The ups and the downs of life. Beautiful. Who said that? Rama? Yeah. Thank you. Yes, I agree. I think the ecstasy is the highest spiritual level you could get to. And then what's laundry? Is Erwin here? Erwin, how you doing? Mikey, you gotta get me in next time. I'm sorry, I'm gonna give you a special call next time right give before. Me, give me the Mikey code. Okay, will do. <laughs> I love you. I love you. Baruch Haba. Sorry to no, don't don't be sorry. You didn't you didn't really well uh, I'll catch you up. So the idea of after the ecstasy, the laundry, like Rama said, we have these peak experiences and then we go back to the mundane. So you can imagine somebody who goes they have Yom Kippur. And they did some really terrible things that year. And they decided this Yom Kippur, they're going to sit, they'd be fasting the whole day and really cry their heart out to God. That could be a peak experience that you could achieve. And then what's the next day? The next day is the laundry. Let me ask you a question. What is the majority of your life spent doing? Is it the ecstasy or is it the laundry? The majority of your life, of course, is the laundry. Right? That's, that's what the day-to-day -day is really very much often about. So I'd like to, to expand on what he says here. God is both imminent and transcendent. And God's humility. What do I mean by that? It means we have this duality within Judaism. Is God kadosh, kadosh, kadosh? Is he supernal? Is he holy, holy, holy? Or is he something that's involved with every minute detail? Is he close to all the people who call out to him? Well, of course, it's both. It's not one or the other. 
it's the, the it's the balance of the two. And if you read Tehillale David, what some of us know as Ashrei Yoshebebetecha, that is more that we read every day. Tehillale David is trying to show you the balance between those two elements of God. On the one hand, he is transcendent, and we feel him when we reach those transcendent levels. But at the same time, he's involved with you and me in everything that we do, not just in those amazing experiences. God is also involved in the here and now, in the small things that we do. Karov Hashem He's close to all the people who are calling out to Him. And one thing that the Hachamim say, is every time you see God's greatness, in the Torah, in the Tanakh, anywhere, in any of these stories, you also are bound to see, right next to it, God's humility. Because God wants you to understand, He's not just the God of the mountaintop. He's not just the God of the amazing experience. He's also the God of the mundane. He's also the God of the day-to-day rituals and, and things that we do. Michael Tabelli, you had a question? No, okay. So one other point that I'll make is that I'm going to actually mention this a little bit later as well. What, does anybody know the story of Eliyahu Hanavi? And, and could you think of how that connects to this? So who was Eliyahu Hanavi fundamentally? Eliyahu Navi is described as a Kanai. He's a person who is a zealot. He cares about these unbelievable supernal experiences. What did he do? He tried, He made a light show. When B'nai Israel, the entire nation, was going after the idols, he said, you know what, we're going to have a showdown. It's me against all the Nevi'im of the Baal, all the prophets of this false god, and we'll see whose korban, whose sacrifice is going to be accepted by the Almighty. And they do their thing, and he does his thing, and finally what happens? God's fire comes down and consumes Eliyahu's um, korban, and he shows all the people, and he slays all the evil, uh, and he shows all the people, look, God is the real God. And then two minutes later, the queen comes, and she's gonna ready to wipe him out, and she chases after him. So Eliyahu is so depressed by this, he says, I don't understand, I just did this whole light show, I just did the fireworks for the people to prove to them. That God is involved. And what happened? And it didn't accomplish anything. The people still don't believe. The people are still not ready to follow God only. And he gets so depressed that he decides he's going to go to the desert and commit suicide, basically. He's going to go into the desert without any provisions. That's Eliyahu Anavi. He says, if it's not going to be done the way that I believe things are truth, I don't want any part of this. And he, he wanders into the desert without any food or water. And he falls asleep under a certain tree. And uh, he's, you know, maybe he's hallucinating a little bit, but obviously he's an avi. So what happens? A malach appears to him. He says, eat and drink, because the way before you is very long. And all of a sudden appears food and drink before him. And he gets to, eventually, to the same mountain where Moshe Rabbeinu learned a similar lesson. And he gets to Har Sinai. He gets to the same crevice in that rock. And God shows him three things. Anybody remember, what does Eliyahu Hanavi see? In the crevice in Har Sinai, he sees an all-consuming fire. He sees this unbelievably strong fire, and then he sees this stormy wind that is breaking rocks, and then he sees this earthquake. And after each one of these amazing events, God says, "Lo ba'esh Hashem, lo baruah Hashem, ve'lo bara'ash Hashem." You're not going to find me in the earthquake. You're not going to find me in the fire, and you're not going to find me in the stormy wind. God's saying, Eliyahu, you're going about this the wrong way. You're going about spirituality in the wrong way. 
You're trying to prove to the people who I am simply based on these light shows. And you're not going to really convince anybody that way because the second the light show's over, that's it. Because people forget about it, out of sight, out of mind. And then what is Eliyahu here? And this implies this is where you find God. Eliyahu here is the Koldim Amadaka. He hears the still small voice. He hears the sound of silence, in other words. And it's the sound of silence that's supposed to signify to him something. God is found in the day-to-day. God is found in the mundane. Because you're not going to convince anybody with these light shows, you can build a spiritual life for people if they follow halakha. If they build a, a relationship with God and whatever they're doing. It's not just about the amazing experiences. Anybody could have an amazing experience. The question is, how do you translate that into your daily habits? How do you build yourself into a person who's capable of really knowing God? And uh, there are, I have 10 different things to discuss. We're only going to go through five of them. Hopefully we'll go through the next five next week. So we'll close with this idea. And this is the fifth tenet, according to Jack Cornfield, of a spiritual life. Anybody want to read? Eliane, you want to read this? Speak up, kid. Oh, okay, no problem, no problem. Don't worry about it. Okay, anybody else want to read? Michael Tabelli, you want to read? Sure. Sure. About um, a sense of the sacred that is integrated and personal. Yeah. Applicable to our immediate world. Our mundane words. Perfect. Pause one second. So what does that mean? That means that there are two elements of the holy and sacred life. On the one hand, it's integrated. It's something that is involved in every aspect of life. You know, even though we have, like we mentioned last week, the idea of a makom kadosh. We have a bet hamikdash, we have a mishkan. But that's not the only place you find God. What's the famous pasuk I'm thinking of? Ve'asuli mikdash. How does it end? Ve'shachanti betocham. I'm going to dwell among the people. So that's what it means for spirituality to be integrated. It means that God is not simply involved in that one place where you find Him. No, no, no. You establish that place, that's fine. But God's going to be integrated within the people. And the idea that it's personal means that it's not just true on a national level. We don't only have spirituality in our korbanot. And we don't only only have spirituality in our collective prayers. We also have spirituality and knowledge of God in the things that we do for ourselves and the the personal stories and narratives that we're living out. We could find God in our personal lives as well. And that's the challenge here, is to bring God into that specifically. And what does he list here? Work, love, family, and creativity. We have a relationship with many different things in life, with our loved ones, with the work that we do, with our family, and with our creativity. No matter what the field is, we as a human are in relation to it. Like, like it says in Bereshit, It describes, like we said last week, the creation of Adam from the, the heavens and earth as his parents. What's the point of doing that? Why does the Torah make it like the heavens and earth were the parents of Adam? It's showing me that I, I as a human being am in relation to everything. And that everything that I have a relationship should be with should be sacred. So my relationship with the world is also a manifestation of my relationship with God. Because God is way beyond my comprehension. So everything that I do as an individual, that means, 
says something about who I am, says something about my relationship with God. Because it's not just about what you do in shul. It's not what, just what, about what you, what you do when people are looking. It's about what you do at all times. It's about leading a life of temimut and shilemut, of completeness and simple, simplicity when it needs to be. Right? So the personal and universal are, are inextricably connected. That when we think about the, the grand ideas and those ideals that we have, those are important. But it's a matter of bringing those into your personal life and, and fitting them into your own personal narrative. Michael, you could continue, sorry. Um, okay, also I wanted to just mention one thing. Like, I think Judaism allows you to bring the, the sacred into the mundane. You know, with all the, you know, you wake up your eye, you say, Modani, wash your hands, to make better home. Beautiful, you see what I wrote right here? Very simple things. Oh. Exactly, no, I'm glad you, you yeah. preempted it. It shows we're, we're thinking along the same lines. That's exactly That's it. So- What's the fame? What's the famous example? Let me ask you a question. The, the, what's the famous example? Shabbat. What are we doing? We're doing a very animalistic thing. We're eating food, right? How spiritual is that? Well, when you do it and you sit with your family and you discuss what happened that week and you say, "Thank you, Hashem, for providing me with this food. Thank you for allowing my family to be here with me," and then you sing pesmonim and you have divrei Torah on the table. That's the a way of uplifting the mundane to the spiritual. We're showing God that we're a consistent individual. We don't only find Him when we're doing something that, that is like praying. We also find Him when we're eating. And that speaks volumes. Sorry, Mike, you could continue. Uh, I also want to say one more comment. Like, what if, <laughs> what if it's already sacred, but when we don't make the prayers, we, we make it mundane. We like forget that it's sacred. Absolutely. Well, I can't agree more. It's, it's the story uh, that you tell. If you decide to tell yourself the story that everything is happenstance and that nothing is holy and everything is mundane, you know what? It's all going to be mundane. And that's very sad because you're not going to be able to really connect to anything. But the beauty of that is that it's not so sad because you could change that on a dime. It's your choice to change the story that you tell yourself. If you tell yourself the same story every day and you go through the same habits, nothing's going to really seem so beautiful. But the second you change the framework of the story... And you say, you know what? The story is beautiful. And the story is meaningful. And God is the mundane. What I, what I mistook for natural stuff really is miraculous because God's involved in all of it. For me personally, that was a big awakening. I used to believe simply that God is where he is and then everything else. No, no, no. That's not the truth. God is all that there is. Some people might go so far as to say everything that is is an illusion. Because you look at it and you say, oh, that's not God. But in truth, everything is God. And the Midrashic way of explaining that. So when you, when you really understand that, as a natural consequence, you become the kind of person who wants to do good and wants to be inspired in everything he does. It doesn't have to be commanded. You're not gonna, a person who is so enlightened and sees God everywhere is not going to have to be commanded to do things. He's going to want to do it. It's going to be a natural consequence of his understanding. All right, okay, you can continue, Mike. Uh, yeah, I want to say another comment. No, please do. I want it. I want to hear. <laughs> um, I don't think that you could, it's not, like, it, you, like, you can't just, by having a certain knowledge, like, end up just shaping your will to be in a line with perfection. Like, you always have to struggle. 
It's always going to be a struggle, but you, the, it's a muscle. I always say like that. It's a muscle, and the more times you flex it, the stronger that muscle is going to be. So in the beginning, you'll be weak. You're not going to notice God so often. And then the more you're mindful of it, the more you take care to really bring God into your life through halacha, through mindfulness, the more times you're going to really feel awakened. And then there are people that become nevi'im. You know, there are people who really do become enlightened. And that's something we should all strive towards. Right? Okay, now I'll read. <laughs> no, it's all right. The universal truths of spiritual life come alive only in each particular and personal circumstance. How we live is our spiritual life. If you really want to know about the master, talk to their spouse. Right, so how do you interpret that? What does that mean? If you really want to know about the master, talk to their spouse. The master is above above the whole thing, so you just talk to talk to its creation in a way. I don't know. I don't mean the master of the universe. I mean like a spiritual master, the spirit, the, the head rabbi. If you want to know about the Rosh Yeshiva, this quote is saying, talk to their spouse. Don't only focus on what the rabbi does in shul. If you really want to get to know who the rabbi is, right? There's a famous story from the Gemara. Who knows the story from the Gemara that I'm about to say? I'll be very impressed if you could read my mind. Nobody has that power? Okay, I'll tell you it anyway. There's a famous story in the Gemara, and please excuse me, there's nobody below 18 here, so I think I could say it. There was a rabbi and his wife, and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're, they're in their bed, and they're, they're uh, doing what they're doing, and they see, the rabbi sees that his student is hiding under the bed. And this, he looks at the student, and he says, what are you doing here? Why are you in my room? And the student says to the rabbi, Zu Torah, this is also Torah. I need to learn this as well. And what, what does that mean? He literally wanted to get, and this is of course a humorous story, and obviously please do not take this literally. Don't try to learn about your rabbi by installing a camera in his room. But the message of it is so powerful because it's so humorous, and that is that this student was so enamored with who the rabbi was in general, that he wanted to understand every element of his life, and he understood something so fundamental. He says, the rabbi that I know in yeshiva, the rabbi that I know in the Bet Midrash is not the, the whole story. The whole story also involves who the rabbi is at home, what he does in his personal life. And that's what it means to live a fully integrated spiritual life. And I think that's why as Jews, we should be so, you know, Jack Hornfield is just some guy. He doesn't have halakha. The Buddhists and, and the Hindus and the, the, the Christians and the Muslims, they have things that they say, but they, they don't, nobody, I mean, I mean, maybe the Muslims have Sharia, but nobody really has a system of halakha quite to the extent that we do. And some of us might resent it, like, oh, come on, I have to care about every little detail here and there. But the truth is, in line with everything we're saying, if you become the kind of person who is so inspired, then the halakha is a natural outgrowth of it. It's a way of being mindful, not in an erotic way, Halakha in its purest form is a way of being mindful of everything we do and showing God that I care about every, every single element of what I'm doing. Not in a harsh way, not in a way of beating myself up if I slip up, but in the, in the beauty of everything. You could find the entire universe in a speck of dust, in a grain of sand. You could find God in a simple act. Any one of the mitzvot says, you know, Harambam, right? We, we say, uh, I'm not ending the class, I'm just quoting the Mishnah. Haram Bam explains that Mishnah 
as follows. He says, it would have been enough for God to only give me one mitzvah. Because one mitzvah would have been enough of a vehicle to connect me to him. But he decided to give me many different vehicles to connect to him. So that's what halacha is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a way of uldov kabol, of clinging to God in everything that we do. So I think we've reached the end of our time here. And I'd like to open it up to questions because we have also, we have uh, five more. We'll save them for next week. And uh, I'm very excited to, to give those over because I think those are even deeper. And those are, in a sense, the next level of spirituality in terms of a mature and developing spiritual life. So, uh, I'm going Hazak or Baruch. Any questions, please ask now. Anybody? Was that understandable? Hi, I'm glad. Yeah, who's that? Sherry. Hey, Sherry, how are you? Thank you for joining. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed. Yes, very much so. I don't have a question, but I have a comment. Please. So, um, when we're talking about how we see God, I feel that um, the way that I relate to Hashem is knowing that we are created with Salem Elohim, and knowing that actually makes me feel connected to Hashem, because I have, where do I see Hashem? I see Hashem also inside of myself. Beautiful. That's that's exactly it, is that you, the Torah puts it straight out for us right in the beginning, is that each of us has a piece of God inside of us, and by acting a certain way, we are an extension of God. It's almost like by doing something, I'm fulfilling a piece of what God's plan is, just by manifesting it in the world. Right, and I feel responsible to to um, to behave in a certain way because I have that inside, knowing that I'm created with with that. I love that. I really, I think that's so telling that the Torah was so brilliant in the way that it portrayed the the uh, fundamentals of who we are as humanity. That it, it touches you to that degree. It shows you how brilliant it is. Yes. Thank you. I love that comment. Thank you. <laughs> Anybody else comment or question? Oh, ID, you must have something to say. <laughs> I came in on the eighth inning, so I recap. <laughs> I love you. I'm, really, I'm digging into to see what's going oh, on. Oh, let me let me scroll up for you. And... Okay, sounds good. I'll give you the re We started off, just as a recap, with a, a forgiveness meditation that we, we tried. I let you close your eyes and I said, I want you to picture those things in life that you're clinging to. The things that are holding you back from really achieving forgiveness of self and real spiritual heights. Because when we hold on to those things that are bothering us that we feel guilty for, it doesn't allow us to move on. And um, the story that we tell ourselves being so important and all these ideas that you see here, right. the idea of opening your heart to everything. And then I, I asked the question about non-idealism, about is this in line with Judaism? The idea that we should not be too idealistic about things and understand that we should just love the, the world for the way that it is. And I said, Judaism says that to an extent. It says, accept things once you know you can't change them. But once you know you can change them, you have to do tikkun olam. But you don't have to finish everything. You don't have to completely change the world on your own. You don't have to finish it. That means you're also not free to just completely absolve yourself of anything. 
We then discussed kindness and the idea of self-acceptance being that really a, uh, a tenet to that and the idea of loving kindness. Patience, awakening, and uh, you know, stopping to grasp at everything because everything really is permanent and just appreciate it for what it is at the time. And the idea that Hashem has infinite patience for us, so we should be patient with our own development as well. And the idea of immediacy. I think you were here for this, right? After the so, ecstasy so of the laundry. My, my point, so on the patience, if you go back to the patience, my thought has always been that exactly what you said, that any time that I see myself like irritable or not dealing with patience, I, the rabbis always told me that how much patience does Hashem have with me? In other words, how much does he have with us? How much, how much, how much does he withstand well, the, not anybody here on the screen but me. <laughs> what I do and what I should be doing or what I could do to improve or whatever. So when you think of patience in with dealing with people or dealing with other people, think of Hashem, how Hashem treats us. That's just like I love that. Like, I think that's exactly it. We're so hard on ourselves. We're so harsh with ourselves. And that's one of the things I had to learn over my life. I started noticing that, that the voice of the judge in my head just criticizing me when I did something wrong. And then I, as I went through life and I started growing, I started realizing that's not what God wants from me. If God is so rahum bihanun, mahu rahum rahum. That you, you got to be the same way. You have to emulate God in that way too. Don't think that God wants you to suffer and wants you to be hard on yourself. No, God is forgiving. God is patient. Any other uh, comments, anybody? Any questions? I have a comment. Yes, Mike. Um, so, like, say, like, there's, like, a certain pattern that, you know, someone or, like, I or anyone has that they find that they, you know, bothers them. Um, but just letting it go or, or you know, kind of, it, it, it doesn't deal with the pattern. Like, the pattern still continues to be there. And, and like, in a way kind of do have to go into it in, in a situation like that and and like really sometimes like dig into it and and I feel like maybe that's connected with the Tikkun Olam because like you're a part of the Olam but I don't know like I, I felt like just letting go of the pattern sometimes is 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 not like you can let go of it as like something as that's bothering you, you can let it stop bothering you, but you can't necessarily let go of it as a pattern. Beautiful. You, it's not something to let go of. It's just something to notice. When you notice that there's a pattern in your life that is continuing to rear its ugly head, and it's 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 not necessarily an ugly thing, but it's just something that it's it's trying to call your attention to it. So like I said, for me, perfectionism. When whatever I was doing, and I, it didn't allow me to be happy. I was pretty miserable doing certain things because I was too afraid to fail. You know the the famous quote from uh, from um, Teddy Roosevelt. He says beautifully. He says the man that deserves all the credit is not the man who just succeeds and goes out and does everything perfectly, but the credit belongs to the man in the arena. The man in the arena is the one who has his face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. And if he succeeds, then great, you know. But if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. And he has no place with those poor and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. So what that means is don't be afraid to fail. And that applies for everything. So whatever your, your habit is or your pattern is that you want to change, don't judge yourself for that. 
Don't kill yourself and say, oh, I'm this and I'm that and I'm lousy. That's not what God wants from you. What you could do with that is just notice it and say, isn't that interesting? That this keeps repeating itself. And this is the, the story that God wants me to notice in my life and that God wants me to amend because that would provide for me being a better person. And it's something to appreciate because this is your story and your unique story. And just be with the process. It does, it's not going to happen overnight, but the, the, it's on you to try to begin the process of creating good habits. Mikey. Yes, I did. It's a great, that is the most difficult thing. Yes, exactly. I love you. I love that you, it's a balancing act. It's exactly a tightrope. You're walking along, you don't want to sway one way to the other or the other too far. You, you know when you're doing all that you can. If you're not doing all you can, you feel it in your bones. Get off the train? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you, if you need to get off the train, get off the train. If you need, if you feel like, no, I, I need a little more time, you stay on the train. Whatever. Whatever you feel at the time, just really ask yourself honestly, meditate on it. Ask your soul. Like just ask God, you're in a prayer to God. Look out at him and say, why, uh, wh why is this happening to me? And how do I become better? And just sit there and I think an answer will come. Not an answer will come. Absolutely. A, 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 there's a time that that happened in the Torah with Yaakov. Beautiful. Wow. And then Hashem doesn't even answer him. He doesn't give him a word answer. Wow. He, he knows what to do. And he gives him the silence. Beautiful. Yeah. So, so powerful. I love that because who is Yaakov? He's the guy. Yaakov means crooked, literally. And he becomes Yisrael. Exactly. But he changes it to Yashar El. He becomes the one who's straight with God because that's showing exactly what you're saying, that we all have the opportunity to... In, in that story, what was happening? He, it says he went to sleep, and then the next pasuk says he was doing this and that. And it's like, what well, I'm saying, was he sleeping or was he not? You know what the answer is? He couldn't sleep. His conscience was getting to him. So he called out to God, exactly like we said, perfect example. And he finally got an answer. In, in the vision of fighting with the Malach. Exactly, in the vision. In the vision. And avec ish he was it was really a part of himself that he was fighting with. The, you know, no matter what struggle we have externally in our lives, it's the internal struggle that's always going to be the most significant one. No matter what somebody else could do to you from an external point of view, it's always the internal voice and the, you're you're always going to be able to inflict the harshest punishment on yourself, harsher than anybody else is going to be able to to inflict on you. Mikey, but when you get to a when you get to a fork in the road or you get to a crossroads or a tight work, isn't there a prescription, in other words, from Hashem that at that point you could do chesed, you could give sedakana, wouldn't he help you if you show him the, what you're, that now you only ask him, hey, bail me out. I'm doing these things, maybe they're extra points for me to score. So the way I see it is not necessarily like extra points. I see it more as when you get into the habit of doing these great things, uh, it opens up doors for you. You didn't even know were there. You thought it was a fork in the road with only these two things. And then you see 27 other different paths right. that you only now see because you opened yourself up to new things. Exactly. I love that. 
you know, I'll give you an example from my own life. This this class that I'm giving you right now and the podcast that I'm recording, none of this would have happened. I, I, a few years ago, Rabbi Hittery approached me. He said, do you want to help run the kids' minyan in Sephardic? I said, ah, I don't really know. I'm not a rabbi. I'm not fit to do it. And then I did a lot of thinking about it, and I decided, you know what? Even though I'm not a rabbi, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to go try to be for the kids' minyan. I spent a year in Israel. So, I love you, I did. <laughs> So I spent the year in Israel. Rabbi Hittery gives me a call. He says, we need a rabbi. Not a rabbi. We need a leader for the Chayel Minyan. We need somebody to lead the, the 18 to 30-year-olds. I said, wait, wait a second. I'm not. I'm, I'm 18 to 30. They're not going to look to me for guidance. They're not going to look to me as somebody who's going to be able to give them anything of substance. Who the heck am I? And then I, I said, you know, let me just surrender to this again. And that opened up so many doors for me. This class that I'm giving, the podcast that I'm recording, Dr. Alan Nasser requested it. I got an amazing message today from somebody unbelievable from Englewood who said, Michael, I've been listening to your classes and I've been loving them. And it made my year just to hear that somebody that I never met before is benefiting from something that I communicated. That is so meaningful. So well, you should also know, Mikey, that a lot of people that I see in my life, in my journey in my life, I'm a big believer, you know, and I have tremendous admiration and respect for your knowledge, that you have to remember no matter what age you are, you have a talent and a skill set, age should never define you. Amen. We, you know, that's that's one of these things. I think that's the 10th level is or the, the ninth level is that the idea of age and the, the myth of youthfulness as being what it's all about. It's not just about being a youth. You can achieve anything at any time. And don't buy into that narrative. Oh, I'm a I'm already I'm an old trick. You can't I'm an old dog. You can't teach me new tricks. That's not true. Anybody could change at any time. To be Akiva was 40 years old. Until he finally started learning the Aleph bit. There's a reason for that. I don't want to keep you guys too long. It was so meaningful for me to speak this out. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. My heart is really open right now. I feel very connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it's very much in part to what you guys are doing. And being here and letting me bounce this out for you. And commenting. And I can't thank you enough. I love you guys. Thank you. Hazak Baruch guys. Laila Tov. Thank you. All the best, guys. Thank you. Hazak me much.